Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr. Cathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, the sound quality in this podcast is not as good as usual, but we hope that you still enjoy it. If you are a listener in a Tooled Up school, don't forget that you have exclusive access to our detailed notes, which accompany this interview. Dr. Jesus Alfonso Datu is an assistant professor in the Department of Special Education and Counseling. He completed his PhD in educational psychology at the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. He's a well-being scientist with research programs in positive psychology, positive education, and inclusive education, exploring well-being factors and interventions that promote mental health academic success and inclusive attitudes towards children with special needs. He's also the lab leader of the Science of Happiness and Positive Education Lab, SHAPE. He edits several journals and was recently included in the list of the world's top 2% researchers based on scientific impact across all disciplines in 2019, based on a study published by a team of researchers at Stanford. So a very, very warm welcome to Dr. Jesus Alfonso Datu. How are you, Jess? I'm doing well, Cathy. How about you? I'm delighted to have you on my podcast. I've been reading so much of your brilliant work over the last few months, and we decided to highlight one of your papers as sort of our researcher of the month feature on the Tooled Up Education site. So we're very excited to bring your work to the public domain. Uh, thanks a lot. I'm delighted that your team chose one of my published works to be a showcase in uh, the Get a Grip podcast interview. So the actual paper, I know you've done a lot of work in lots of different areas of interest to educators or people in the parenting area, but this particular paper was called Can Kindness Promote Media Literacy Skills, Self-Esteem and Social Self-Efficacy Among Selected Female Secondary School Students? And it was published very, very recently. I'll get to that paper in a moment, but I just wanted to talk a little bit more broadly about the research around kindness. And certainly in this country, there's a big emphasis on kindness in schools and a sort of an appreciation that it's a good thing to do. But I think less so people associate kindness potentially with other skills that young people are developing. So your paper focused on what impact teaching young people about kindness can have on media literacy. But tell us a little bit, Jess, about the evidence for the positive impact of kindness more generally. Your information about practical impacts of doing kindness interventions uh, are actually right. So at this point in time, there's a solid evidence pointing to the mental health, educational, and interpersonal benefits associated with different types of kindness-enhancing activities. So for instance, there's been research showing that kindness might be linked to higher levels of life satisfaction, positive emotions, and even subjective happiness. And uh, the evidence was pretty conclusive, both in the United States but and also in other Asian contexts, say, for example, in Japan, Korea, and the Philippines. And there's even evidence showing that engaging adolescents and even individuals in acts of kindness might be linked to adaptive expression of genes 
and healthy eating behaviors. And that's pretty much done by Sonia Lubomirsky's lab in the UC Riverside in the United States. And in terms of how kindness facilitates effective educational processes and outcomes, I did a research with Nansok Park of the University of Michigan, and we're able to show that kindness might be linked to increased levels of intrinsic motivation and academic engagement. In terms of the interpersonal advantages or payoffs associated with kindness, there's been research evidence showing how kindness might facilitate higher levels of social skills, and even empathic orientation. And that's consistent with the research of John Tyler Binfei and his colleagues. So indeed, there's support about your claim on the educational, mental health, and interpersonal benefits associated with kindness interventions. And is it the case that it's the same outcome for younger children, primary age children, or are you talking about the benefits for kindness in terms of secondary age pupils? The evidence is pretty mixed in terms of the developmental uh, nuances. So in, in some studies, they're able to show that in undergraduate student samples, kindness enhancing activities or interventions might actually facilitate subjective well-being. There's also additional evidence pointing to how perceptions of kindness at school might be beneficial for primary school students. Say, for example, if we look at the findings of Jean Tyler Binfei from the University of British Columbia, he's able to demonstrate the social benefits of uh, perceptions of kindness at school. And in my research, I, I actually recruited secondary school students And we are able to demonstrate that kindness might be associated with higher levels of intrinsic motivation and academic engagement. So pretty much the evidence has been coming from, you know, studies involving individuals from different or diverse development stages or phases. And there seemed to be very interesting cross-cultural research that indicates Sometimes gratitude and kindness optimize well-being. So, for example, in the United States, but potentially not in other cultural contexts. Can you say a little bit more about the relationship between gratitude and kindness and why the relationship might be slightly different in different contexts? Thanks for asking that question about cultural nuances in terms of the efficacy of this well-being interventions, Kathy. So there's actually a reason to believe that culture might moderate the impacts of this happiness-increasing strategies on well-being outcomes. Because if you look at the positive activity model proposed by Yubumirsky and Laius, it's clearly speculated in the framework that the impacts of happiness-increasing interventions on physical and mental health outcomes are actually contingent on one's cultural values, maybe personality traits, and other social contextual factors. And if we look at the potential role of culture, I've come across a recent research published by Sonia Lubomirsky's former PhD student, Lilian Shin. And uh, what they did was actually to examine the impacts or the effects of recalling acts of kindness among selected undergraduate students samples in the United States and in Hong Kong. And what they're able to find out was that there were differential impacts in terms of how specific types of kindness-enhancing activities might facilitate well-being outcomes. For example, in the Hong Kong context, they're able to show that if students are primed 
to recall acts of kindness done towards uh, friends and relatives, it's more likely that these interventions might lead to higher well-being outcomes. And but that's not actually the case in the United States or among sample in the United States. So and uh, one reason is that of course in cultures in which social harmony and uh, collectivism primarily incentivized, it's likely that the intensity uh, of interpersonal ties towards the recipient of acts of kindness might actually make a difference or might moderate the impacts of kindness increasing interventions on well-being outcomes such as positive emotions. So that's actually one potential evidence pointing to cultural nuances in terms of how kindness and increasing activities might impact on well-being outcomes. So in other words, we really have to be careful in terms of generalizing the impacts of these well-being interventions on a different range of psychological outcomes in various cultural contexts. So in Britain, for example, it's probably quite a sort of individualistic culture. Would that be correct? Where we seem to sort of have these cyclical, motivational mottos that interject in sort of cultural dialogue about the need to be kind. It seems to be something that has to be emphasized quite a lot. That's actually right, Kathy. So in implementing and even designing kindness-based interventions, it's important to look at specific cultural profiles, uh, characteristics, and even nuances, because perhaps the meaning of kindness might also be slightly different you know, uh, between individualist and collectivist cultures. Or perhaps, uh, just like what has been pointed out in the published article of Lilian Shin, the intensity of interpersonal connections to the recipient of the acts of kindness might also strengthen or weaken the impacts of kindness uh, interventions on outcomes. So it's important to take into account different cultural characteristics of you know the students that you're dealing with when you're trying to conceptualize, design, implement, and evaluate the applicability of this kindness-enhancing interventions. And I love the fact in the first section of your paper where you review the literature on kindness and positive outcomes that you talk about, you know, counting acts of kindness, literally creating a list of kind acts that an individual has performed, you know, has boosted well-being outcomes, you know, just in terms of the general literature. That's a point that is absolutely fascinating to both educators and parents. And it's made me really think about whether that is something that schools or even at home that, you know, literally being able to recognize and encourage children to perform acts of kindness and be able to define that within family life or within the culture within which one lives is a very easy and practical thing to do that can boost children's well-being as well as help other people. That's actually right, Cathy. In fact, if you look at the potential difference in terms of just simply recalling acts of kindness that we have actually done and engaging in actual generous deeds that's going to be beneficial for others. A recent research published by Ko and uh, colleagues actually showed that there's no difference in terms of the well-being or mental health benefits of either recalling acts of kindness or performing those acts of kindness. So in fact, even if you just simply ask the kids to 
try to reflect on and just have a list of acts of kindness that they've done for the past few weeks that could actually help in terms of boosting their emotional and cognitive well-being. And isn't it interesting, Jess, that in giving, in being kind to another person, it can be counterintuitively very good for oneself. So I think this is a, an interesting point that parents and educators are fascinated by, that by encouraging a child to be kind to another person or to have a, you know, perform an act of kindness, it's very self-esteem boosting for the giver. That's actually uh, right, Cassie. It's pretty consistent with uh, prior literature supporting how kindness may be linked to empathic orientations, satisfaction of our psychological needs for relatedness, and even uh, improvement in terms of peer popularity. You know, that, that's consistent with the findings of Christine Laius and her colleagues. So, yep, there's really a, a good evidence pointing to that direction. I mean, pointing to the far-reaching social benefits of doing acts of kindness among kids and adolescents. And before we move on to talk about the specific hypothesis that was you know, brought about the paper we're discussing today, I'm just curious, are there any differences in the literature identified in terms of gender? So uh, just in terms of you know, gender, um, whether or not girls or boys are, you know, respond differently in, in this area? It's not totally surprising in a way that in prior research, say, for example, there's been a meta-analytic review published by Brian Toy, which is a fantastic work, you know, done in, to summarize the empirical literature about the mental health benefits of kindness. The effects of kindness on psychological well-being was actually stronger in female than in male samples. So, but the thing is, if we look at other studies involving uh, samples with diverse gender profile, there's actually a good reason to to support the claim that kindness might be equally beneficial for both male and female or for boys and girls. Because, I mean, uh, in a research that I just recently did to examine the impacts of kindness and gratitude interventions on positive emotions, life satisfaction, and negative emotions during the COVID-19 pandemic, we're able to show that in terms of the sample characteristics, it's relatively gender balanced compared to the current research that we're talking about. But we're able to show that kindness uh, positively impacts on positive emotions during the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's in, in the other research done by Ko and colleagues, they're able to show that kindness, regardless of, you know, the gender profile of the participants was actually beneficial for well-being outcomes. So I, I clearly see that uh, although girls are likely to benefit from acts of kindness, there's a reason to show that this kind of well-being intervention might be equally advantageous for both males and female individuals. Fantastic. So moving on to your lovely fresh paper, what made you and your co-authors, Jess, hypothesize that kindness could have an impact on media literacy? Because they seem such incongruous themes, if you like. Uh, in terms of the literature about media literacy, 
earlier models of literacy or uh, media literacy has emphasized the importance of specific technical competencies. Say, for example, in describing media literacy, they actually conceptualize this concept as a combination of an individual's ability to access, analyze, evaluate, and create different media contents or elements. But in recent frameworks or conceptualizations of media literacy, DF, say, for example, uh, the models developed by Pfaff Rudiger in 2012, they're able to emphasize the importance of social competencies, such as ability to effectively communicate with others, and even moral skills, such as understanding what, what is right from what is wrong, the importance of these social competencies in order to better capture media literacy. And so since I and my collaborators have been trying to integrate existing work about positive psychology and media literacy, we're able to draw a connection on how integrating kindness research with media literacy framework might be a valuable route to address many issues about cyberbullying or other externalizing behaviors exhibited by adolescents and kids in the social media platforms. So it makes sense to, to say that, you know, if these media literacy frameworks that were recently developed emphasize the importance of technical and even social skills, and if kindness can actually promote a wide range of social competencies among kids, then it makes sense to integrate kindness research with media literacy frameworks. And can you tell us a little bit about the structure of the intervention and what sorts of activities the young people, I think it was girls, uh, were were required to do? Okay, so this kind of curriculum could be easily administered, Kathy. So uh, it's actually composed of two interrelated sessions. And the first session, for instance, focused on teaching kids about or teaching these adolescent girls about the importance of positive psychology, like, you know, happiness concepts, because uh, many of, you know, uh, this kindness enhancing activities were actually derived or uh, were actually drawn from positive psychology literature. And then consistent with empirically supported kindness enhancing strategies, we asked them to engage in recalling acts of kindness exercises. And we also encouraged them to perform acts of kindness, you know, in their own little ways. And at the same time, we supplemented it with specific strategies that would involve applying this kindness interventions or kindness exercises in different technological platforms. Say, for example, we asked them to recall online acts of kindness that they've actually engaged in. So say, for example, were there any opportunity for the past few weeks in which they actually help a friend in Facebook uh, deal with a specific problem? Or did they use WhatsApp or other social media platform to help a stranger or to help their classmates or peers? And then uh, not only uh, recalling this online acts of kindness, but to you know ask them to proactively engage in online acts of kindness. And we also ask them to have group work which involve uh, evaluating a kindness case study and we ask them to create a kindness poster. So pretty much, these activities could be easily done by our classroom teachers and even you know school psychologists working in United Kingdom schools. So we're seeing the importance of this 
cost-effective and easily administered activities to boost kindness and uh, mental health outcomes among adolescents in different cultural contexts. And your study showed that teaching kindness had positive outcomes on quite advanced digital literacy skills and the interventions also led to higher self-esteem and a better perception of social efficacy. It had a particularly positive impact on what you term critical prosumption, which in simpler terms means when young people create things online, which both reflect their own personal insights and consider or anticipate the possible consequences of what they post on others. Did that surprise you that it had such a strong impact? And what were the potential reasons for why it does? It's not extremely surprising that this intervention was able to positively impact on an advanced media literacy skill such as critical consumption. Because the thing is, we can always look at past evidence about the interpersonal or relational impacts or benefits of kindness interventions. Say, for example, there's been evidence showing that kindness might actually increase uh, one's peer popularity. And much like what I've shared a while ago, in the research findings of Ben Fay and his colleagues, they're able to show that kindness might facilitate effective social skills and empathic orientation. And promoting opportunities for individuals to be kind at work might be one route to satisfy their needs fulfillment uh, in terms of their relatedness needs. So um, the thing is that if new media literacy frameworks or the contemporary media literacy frameworks have highlighted the importance of social skills in understanding media literacy, then it makes sense that promoting opportunities to be kind among these adolescent girls might lead to not only interpersonal competencies, but also to socially responsible media behaviors or social media behaviors. And your study focused on an all-girls school almost as an accident because that was the school, you know, that agreed to be party to the research. In your experience, would the results have differed greatly if it had been a mixed or a boys' school? And how much work has been done on the impact of kindness initiatives in boys? That's actually an interesting question. So uh, much like what I've shared to you a while ago, Kathy, if we look at the gender nuances on how kindness interventions impact on well-being outcomes, there's a good evidence showing that the impacts of kindness intervention were actually stronger for females, right? So, uh, but we actually don't discount the possibility that kindness-enhancing exercises or activities are actually beneficial for both males and females. But unfortunately, to the best of my knowledge, I wasn't able to come across any research showing the effectiveness of kindness interventions in an all-male or in an all-boys sample. So that would be an interesting question to investigate in the near future. But for now, because prior studies have consistently shown that you know, if you try to implement kindness-enhancing interventions among uh, samples with relatively balanced gender profile, these kinds of you know activities may still enhance well-being outcomes. So in that sense, there's a reason to hypothesize that the pattern of findings might be similar for boys, for adolescent boys. But unfortunately, there's no research done so far. 
to examine the effects of kindness interventions in an exclusively boy sample. And Jess, is that something that you would welcome? Because I know a lot of teachers and educators listening to this who work in oil boys' environments might be interested in initiating some research with you. Is that something you'd welcome? That's right, Kathy. So that's an extremely important question to investigate because many of the educational initiatives nowadays are actually pointing to the importance of proposing inclusive psychological and educational interventions. So, and if this is actually an intervention that pretty much works for girls based on this research that I've done, then it would be interesting to see if the same pattern of findings might hold for adolescent boys. So if there might be schools who are willing to collaborate with me and my team in terms of exploring the impacts of kindness-based media literacy intervention, then I would certainly welcome this opportunity. Fantastic. And your paper encourages schools to make use of existing empirically supported kindness activities, and you suggest they should be designing anyway or implementing a kindness curriculum. I really like that term. What advice would you give to schools in general for doing this, and what sort of activities would be effective or impactful, and how might it best be embedded into school ethos or day? Uh, that's right, Kathy. So I actually encourage schools to prioritize curriculum that emphasizes kindness. But doing that might actually entail different layers of challenges. Perhaps the easiest route to getting to that stage would be to collaborate with kindness researchers in the United Kingdom or in Hong Kong. So I, I do research about the impacts of school-based kindness interventions among you know uh, adolescent girls and boys. So perhaps that would be one of the potential routes to implementing kindness curriculum. But I also highlight the importance of empirically supported prevention strategies that has been found to be effective. You know, in previous research, say for example, we can borrow some some of the principles or you know assumptions that are embedded in the positive peer reporting scheme. So this is actually an empirically supported prevention scheme, which can be easily done. So this involves encouraging kids and adolescents in school to report any of their peers or classmates who might be engaging in random acts of kindness. Of course, you know, students or kids who were recommended do not need to know that they're actually recommended for this scheme. And the teacher, along with other school stakeholders, might find a specific sort of mechanism to reward or to incentivize this, you know, students to keep on engaging in acts of kindness if they reach a specific number of, you know, points. Say, for example, one occurrence of acts of kindness might be equivalent to one point. So if they reach, say, for example, 10 points in a month, then they would receive a specific incentive that they might probably find valuable. So that's one approach. So some other strategies could also work, like we can try to integrate kindness promotion activities with formal curriculum. How can we do it? Say, for example, it's pretty common for English teachers to require their students to write or prepare essays you know, in English uh, subject areas. So perhaps uh, it might be a promising possibility if they can use kindness as one of the themes in those activities 
students might realize the importance and the benefits associated with reflecting about kindness, even if you know uh, they're just doing their day-to-day class requirement. Or uh, say, for example, in a mathematics class of primary school students, it might be common for them to be asked to calculate arithmetic average, say, for example, or mean you know, of a specific sample. So what the math teacher may consider doing is to, say, for example, ask all the kids to rate themselves on the extent to which they might consider themselves as a kind person. So uh, and uh, try to get the arithmetic or try to encourage some of these kids in that class to get the arithmetic average of all the kindness scores of their classmates in that specific class. So this might be an activity that could be easily done, but you know these students might be able to think about you know the importance of kindness through this usual day-to-day instructional activities that teachers are actually doing. And if we want to do it more systematically, of course, we can look at designing a school-wide psychoeducational prevention program. So uh, that's through identifying specific needs that maybe primary or uh, secondary school students have in that particular school and trying to structure different, you know, philosophy and objectives for the school-based kindness curriculum and try to sort out or try to determine what intervention components might be integrated in that prevention scheme and eventually implementing and evaluating the effectiveness of the school-based kindness curriculum. And of course, I also emphasizing the importance of teachers and non-teaching staffs such as guidance counselors, school psychologists, librarians, and other even uh, school uh, security guards you know, as role models of kindness. So if they can engage in simple acts of kindness and these kids and adolescents are able to witness these role models doing acts of kindness, then it might create ripples of kindnesses, you know, in that particular school and probably in the community context nearby. So I'm seeing a, a wide range of opportunities in which schools might be able to adapt kindness-enhancing exercises and curriculum. And do you know what? Some of those ideas are so inspiring and could be so simple to administer in a school environment and so impactful. So I'm imagining if I was a classroom teacher, I might have a big kindness box and you might have a little slip beside it and you might put in the name of the other child and write down what their act of kindness was and you put it in the box and you can just imagine the classroom teacher at the end of the week working out who has kindness points like it's a real incentive isn't it that's right kathy so there's a lot of creative ways to boost or to cultivate a culture of kindness in school so we don't need to think too big in order to kickstart those creative initiatives. So I'm really looking forward for many of schools in different contexts to apply you know, kindness research to promote not only a culture of kindness, but also mental health outcomes amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's also uh, making me think that surely it almost sounds like a kindness intervention at school is really an anti-bullying initiative there's sort of it's a different language but it is about anti-bullying at the end of the day and promoting more of a culture of general acceptance and kindness that is much more holistic 
it's actually right, Kathy. So if we teach kids, you know, primary school students and even adolescents or high school students to be kind at school, then that could be an indirect route to prevent uh, different types of bullying from happening. Say, for example, because many schools shifted to online teaching and learning activities, and perhaps uh, we might be a little bit concerned about the rise of cyberbullying, for example. So if we try to deliver online kindness-enhancing uh, activities, then that could be a way to prevent these types of externalizing behaviors. So you're right. We can actually design kindness interventions in order to prevent different types of bullying or to reduce the intensity of bullying at different schools. And it's really about making kindness fashionable at school is is the wrong word, but something that is heavily valued and promoted to such an extent that it begins to influence interactions and expectations between peers. That's actually correct, Kathy. So if we look at the evidence, uh, it's pretty solid that these kinds of kindness-enhancing activities can promote social skills, empathy, even uh, satisfaction of related needs, uh, not only among adolescents or primary school students, but also in adult samples. So there's a, a reason to believe that promoting kindness at school might serve as a route to solve many educational problems that uh, schools are now facing. Now, I'm absolutely fascinated by the impact that parents can have in this space. And, you know, that's obviously a lot of my work is to do with helping parents understand and digest a lot of this research evidence and apply, you know, some of your findings in their parenting. Has your research shown any practical ways that parents can encourage kindness in this media-specific context? Unfortunately, Kathy, I'm not moving yet into that direction in my current research programs, but I'm looking forward to design initiatives and, you know, research questions that might be able to address these research gaps. But even though I have not engaged yet in any research that might involve parents as, you know, are the enforcers to promote a culture of kindness at school, there were actually previous findings or recent research showing some promise on how parents can play a role in terms of strengthening kindness acts among children and, and adolescents. So say, for example, there's a meta-analytic review recently published by Tracy Wong and her colleagues, and they're able to show that a specific type of parenting style characterized by high levels of warmth and affection and increased levels of you know discipline and control, this kind of parenting was actually linked to higher likelihood of engaging in pro-social behaviors among children and adolescents, but adopting an authoritarian parenting style characterized by high in control and low in warmth and affection among these parents might actually be linked to lower levels of pro-social behaviors. So that's actually one route in which the way that parents are you know, uh, engaging in different parenting style might have indirect impacts on children's pro-social behaviors. And I've also come across another work by uh, Professor Gustavo Carlo, who's able to show that having a close sense of connections to parents, or if the children are actually 
attached or close to their uh, parents, it's more likely that they're going to be engaging in pro-social behaviors because these kinds of parents-to-children interactions might facilitate higher levels of empathic orientation among these kids. And as they gain empathy from interacting smoothly with their parents, it's more likely that they're able to help other kids or other people. So these are some of the findings from previous research that might help our parents, you know, uh, promote kindness in their own little ways. And you've mentioned modeling, you know, among teachers and presumably what you've described there is an authoritative parenting style where parents are loving and they model kindness and they value kindness, but they're also, you know, they're quite firm on boundaries and expectations in family life. That's actually right, Kathy. So it's important that you're not only loving, caring to your kids. It's also equally important to emphasize the importance of setting boundaries or control so that these kids would actually learn from their parents on how to effectively regulate their own actions as well. If these kids are exposed to these kinds of parenting strategies, they're likely to engage in acts of kindness or pro-social behaviors, but I just like to remind Kathy that the evidence is not too strong at this point in time because the, you know this research is correlational in nature. So probably in future research, it might actually be important to see probably longitudinal evidence pointing to how parenting strategies might affect expression of kindness in different contexts. And beyond this particular study, what are you hoping to be the next stage in this sort of research? What, what would you like to see in terms of a future research on the relationship between kindness and media literacy following on from this study? My research lab has been able to show that kindness intervention uh, might actually improve perceptions of social self-efficacy, self-esteem, and even advanced media literacy such as critical prosumption among adolescent girls. But what we still don't know at this point in time would be the affective or emotional, cognitive, even social mechanisms or processes that explain why these kindness interventions are effective in terms of promoting media literacy and psychological outcomes. And I still don't know whether this kindness intervention or the impacts of this kindness intervention might be generalizable in the United Kingdom, in the United States, and in other non-Western contexts. So I'm still looking forward to see whether this intervention might work in different cultural contexts. And all of your work, you've done so much work in multiple different areas, but what exciting projects are you currently working on, Jess, that we can keep our eye out for? Thanks a lot, Kathy. So at this point in time, I'm pretty much excited about a new project that I'm engaging in. And this involves preliminarily uh, evaluating the effectiveness of kindness-oriented social-emotional learning curriculum, or uh, I call it causal curriculum, and its impacts on the mental health and academic outcomes among adolescents in Hong Kong and in the Philippines. Uh, so uh, if the schools there in the United Kingdom who might be open to the possibility of collaborating with me in terms of testing the effectiveness of this kindness-oriented social-emotional learning curriculum, I would be more than happy to work with them in terms of examining the potential impacts of this research program in their respective schools. And uh, aside from that, I and my team have been investigating the impacts of online well-being interventions 
on the mental health outcomes amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So, of course, there's been a lot of you know evidence showing that the pandemic situation has been exacerbating many types of psychological problems that many people have been experiencing. So I'd like to contribute to solutions that's going to help us mitigate the mental health hazards of the COVID-19 pandemic. Fantastic. We're going to keep an eye out on all of your lovely work, Jess, and we'll be certainly, I can already think of schools who would love to collaborate with you on some of those initiatives. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And we will be highlighting this particular paper, uh, Can Kindness Promote Media Literacy Skills, Self-Esteem and Social Self-Efficacy Among Selected female secondary school students as part of our research piece for the month. So thank you so much for your time and we look forward to hearing from you again. You're welcome, Kathy, and it's a privilege to chat with you regarding this important initiative. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Have a great day too. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up Schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.